I began this message two weeks ago, and we had two texts that we looked at. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28, which tells us, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And the other is in Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. The ancient and the old. The ancient landmarks, the old paths. I mentioned at that time that not everything that is ancient and old is necessarily the best, but it is when it comes to the things of God. Truth is like God. Actually, he is the truth, and it never changes. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truths of God are ancient and they are old from everlasting. When the nation of Israel came into the land of Canaan, it was divided to them by lot. And we know this about the lot from Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. The lot is determined by the Lord. As much as we might think it's all chance, there is no such thing as chance. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Many things that are old, and I mentioned especially in the field of medicine, are not necessarily the best. We all, I'm sure, remember reading in school about George Washington the father of this country, so-called, first president, how the doctors treated him by bleeding him. Uh, I don't know if that would be something anybody would want to do today. Medicine has certainly improved, and we thank God for it. But when it comes to the Word of God, the truths of God, they cannot be improved upon. This is been Satan's way of operating from the very beginning. He usually cast doubt upon the word of God, upon the truth of God. And he does so most often by asking a question, as he did with Eve. Yea, hath God said? Just that subtle question that he asked of her. We have looked at three of these ancient landmarks, there's one God who exists in a trinity of persons, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship him who is God, God manifest in the flesh, and also the plenary and verbal inspiration of the scriptures, that all scripture from beginning to end is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
And last Sunday evening, we observed the Lord's Supper. And the truth about it is also certainly one of the ancient landmarks because we know that men soon began to teach what is called the real presence of Christ in the bread and in the wine, that the bread actually becomes the body of our Savior and the wine actually becomes the blood of Christ. And I said at that time, it's pure priestcraft. That's what it is. It's pure priestcraft. It puts somebody between the sinner and the Savior. Some man between the sinner or church between the sinner and the Savior. Well, tonight, I want us to look at two more. I want us to hear about two more of these ancient landmarks. And the first one is the truth about man's fallen nature. In the Garden of Eden, did man fall in such a way that it means that he is totally depraved? Did he receive a wound that means he has the ability to cure himself, or did he die? And we might frame this question like this, did God keep his word or not? God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He disobeyed God. He ate the fruit. But was he just slightly wounded? You know, like a man is riding a horse, and he falls off the horse, and he get, gets up, picks himself up, and brushes himself off, and goes on. Is that what took place? When Adam fell there in the garden... Did the children's nursery rhyme have reference to what happened in the garden? We've all heard this nursery, nursery rhyme, and I believe it's been said that it was taught to children to teach them the truth about the fall. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. What happened in the fall? Remember a message that I heard many years ago. What happened in the garden? The garden of Edom. What happened at the cross? And what happens in a sinner's heart when God reveals himself? Three pertinent questions, right? What happened in the garden of Eden? Did man just receive a wound or did he die spiritually as God told him that he would? God's word teaches us that the spiritual death that he experienced means that it affected his heart. Now all of us, we are accustomed to think of the heart as emotions. If we Think of the physical heart, of course, that's ever so important to the physical body. We recognize that. But when we talk about the heart uh, metaphorically, most of the time we're thinking about emotions, uh, uh, love, affections. But in the scriptures, when the scriptures speak about the heart, more is included than the affections. The mind, first of all, 
the mind, and then the affections, and then the will, the voluntad, the will. Those are the things that make up the heart when the scriptures speak about the heart. Now, we talk about total depravity, and some people misunderstand what is meant by that term. They, they think, well, you're saying when you speak about men being totally depraved that every person, every man, woman, boy, and girl is as awful, sinful as they possibly could be. Morally, they're, they're all, everyone is totally depraved. Everyone is as bad as he possibly could be. But that's not what we mean. Not everyone is a Hitler. No, not at all. There are some people who are moral people, outwardly moral people. There are some people that never profess to know Christ and didn't obviously know Christ, don't know Christ, and yet they are very proud, and I assume they're very truthful about this. You can take their word. When they tell you they will do something, they will do it. Many of us have known men like this. When they shook their hand on a deal, on a business proposition, it was as good or better than a signed contract. No, they were not evil as, as evil as they could be. But total depravity tells us that every part of man's heart, his mind, his affections, and his will was damaged, ruined in the fall. In other words, he is spiritually as bad off as he could be. That's, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Spiritually, he could not be any worse off because he is dead in trespasses and sins. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. I know you're familiar with this verse. But Paul, speaking to the believers in the church at Ephesus, writing to them in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, And you hath he quickened. Now that word, of course, means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I try, I've tried to illustrate this over the years in different ways. I remember one illustration I used years ago was of, of a fish, a fish in a stream or in a, in a, a river. Now, which way is that fish going to go? It, that dead fish is going to follow the current, right? For him, for the fish to swim against the current, what has to take place? He's got to be given life. And then another illustration I've tried to use over the years is driving a car. You know, most... most uh, uh, Free will preachers, they preach as though here's man, he's driving his car, and it's in neutral. He's not going forward, he's not going backward. He's just in neutral. 
<laughs> and you can speak to him, and he has the power, he has the ability, you can move his emotions, and he can reach here and put the car in drive and go on for the Lord, or put it in reverse and go on towards hell. Man is not in neutral. <laughs> no. Man, with that description, he has the car in drive with his foot on the accelerator all the way to the floor, going as far and as fast as he possibly can from the things of God. Has no interest in the things of the Lord. The Lord Jesus in John 6 and verse 44, he said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And we all know can, no man can come to me, can has to do with ability. He didn't say no man may come to me. That's not what he said. He said no man can come to me. That has to do with, with ability. And then to some others he said one day, you will not come to me that you might have life. I heard a preacher many years ago, I mean many years ago, and he made this statement and stayed with me. Man, he has the freedom to jump over the moon if he wants to. Every one of us here, we've got the freedom, don't we? There's no law against it. You can jump over the moon. Of course, people don't use that terminology anymore about the man in the moon jumping over the moon, but back years ago we, we did use that for some reason. And I remember his point was, we have the freedom to do it, but we don't have the ability. Doesn't that make sense? We have the freedom to jump over the moon, but we sure don't have the ability. And that's what our Lord said when he said, no man can come to me. Morally, it's impossible for him of his own free will to come to Christ. No man can come to me except, except the Father which has sent me draw him. This is an ancient landmark. Man, he didn't receive a wound in the fall. He died. He was rendered dead by his disobedience, dead spiritually. So every man, woman, boy, and girl comes into this world spiritually dead. The second truth, the last one I want to mention tonight, is the truth about God's effectual call. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and beginning with verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, 
and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. I want you to notice in verse 24, the Lord Jesus makes a statement of fact. He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has. Not he may have or he shall have or one day in the future he will have. No, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, in Romans 8, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How is it that we come into this world condemned in our father Adam? Condemned in our father Adam but we pass from death unto life and we will never ever again be condemned. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, who is he that condemneth? It's impossible that anyone should condemn one for whom Christ died and lives and whom God has justified. Who is he that condemneth? He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall, come, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You see, a person passes from death. A person passes from death. There was a day, there was a time in my life and in your life, if you are saved tonight, there was a time when you were dead in trespasses and sins. But you passed. And how is it that you passed from death unto life? You heard his word. And you believed on him whom sent him. Now, in this passage we've just read, I want to point this out to us. It's obvious in these verses that the Lord Jesus speaks of two very different resurrections. Do you see that? He speaks of two very different resurrections. One is spiritual and the other is physical. Verily, verily, verse 25, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. They shall hear his voice and they that do hear shall live. But then notice down in verse uh, 28, marvel not at this, but the hour is coming. Now notice he doesn't say, and now is, does he? In verse 25, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is. But now in verse 28, he doesn't say, and now is. He's talking about two 
different resurrections. One resurrection is spiritual. That's when a person is born of the Spirit of God. And over him the second death hath no power, the Scripture says in Revelation chapter 20. Why? Because he's passed from death unto life. But then, in verse 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, and it doesn't say, and now is. Why? Because this hour hasn't yet come. <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's coming, but it hasn't come yet. All. Now, he didn't say in verse uh, 25 that all would hear the voice of the Son of God, did he? All he does not call. All men do not experience the effectual call. But listen, all men will hear his voice in the general resurrection. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes again to receive his own unto himself, there shall be a general resurrection. That is, all men will be raised and all men will be brought to judgment. The scripture is also clear that those who hear his voice shall live and believe the gospel. Believe. He that hears my voice, the Lord Jesus Christ said, verse 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. In John chapter 10, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And he also said this in John chapter 10 and verse 26. Some of the Jews there, they came to him and they said, How long do you make us to doubt? How long do you make us to doubt? If you be the Christ, tell us, tell us plainly, tell us openly. And the Lord Jesus told them, I, I told you. But, now listen, but, here it is, verse 26, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep. His sheep hear his voice and believe. And his sheep hear his voice in the gospel. And this is certainly a very strange matter. I don't think any of us are competent, any man is competent fully to understand this. Remember, a preacher of years gone by used to say, if my voice is the only voice you hear, you'll leave this building just like you came in. But, it, but if while hearing my voice, you hear the voice of the Son of God, you go out of this building alive, spiritually alive. God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Paul in Antioch, remember the scripture says, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And men have always, uh, free will preachers, have always tried to twist that scripture around. And make it say, as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. But that's not what it says. 
Remember Dr. Broadus, he was, uh, uh, I think, the founder of the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, these are truths that, yes, the Southern Baptist preachers and the Southern Baptist Convention, when that began years ago, they believed these things. Probably not all of them, but they were, they were ancient landmarks. They were the old paths in which God's people walked. Dr. Broadus said to those students there at that seminary, I think he taught uh, not hermeneutics, but uh, sermon preparation. I forget the word they used for that. Homiletics. Homiletics. There you go. I knew you would know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Homiletics. That's an important subject. But he told them, don't twist that scripture. It means what it says. It may, Brother Barnard used to say, when we run into something in the Bible we don't like or we don't believe, we say, well, the Greek says this. Well, the Greek says that, you know. No, Dr. Broder said, this is exactly what the Greek says. It's a good translation. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They that hear his voice believe his word if they are his sheep. His sheep hear his voice. They will be quickened and they will believe the gospel. How did you believe? How did you believe? If you believe tonight, you believe because you were made alive. You were quickened in his prayer, his high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ said that he had been given power over all flesh. You know, as God, the Son of God, he had power over all things, just as the Holy Spirit has power over all things, and God the Father has power over all things. But as the God-man mediator, as the servant of Jehovah, he said, Thou hast given me power over all flesh. There's a man in glory tonight. There's a man in glory upon the throne of God. It's the throne of God and of the Lamb. He's the Lamb of God. And he has all power, both in heaven and in earth. He said, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he, Christ, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Paul asked of the Christians in Corinth, who maketh thee to differ? Who maketh thee to differ? You believe tonight, who maketh thee to differ? Oh, you say, well, I've just always uh, been a better person and I've studied the facts and I've looked at all the evidence and I just made a decision to believe. No. Who maketh thee to differ? And he makes it clear it is God who makes one to differ. I love that passage in Ezekiel when God carried Ezekiel out there to that valley of dry bones where there had been a battle years before and there was bones and bones everywhere. And Ezekiel walked around and he said they were dry. They were very dry. And God asked him, can these bones live? 
Can these bones live? Well, Ezekiel, he had the wisdom to respond in the only way you could respond. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord God, thou knowest. Thou knowest. And then he was told, preach to them. That's the craziest thing in the world, isn't it? To preach to a bunch of dry bones. <laughs> Out in the world, is that going to accomplish anything? You said sinners are dead in trespasses and sins. I, I just repeated what the Word of God says. Well, why preach? Because God has chosen. And Ezekiel preached. It wasn't long. God said, prophesy to the wind. The breath. And the breath came, right? And those bones came together, and they did live. They did live. And when the Lord passes by, just like that infant cast out in Ezekiel chapter 16, her con his, her condition, the infant could not have been any worse. <laughs> the Lord passed by. It was a time of love. And that's what happens when the Lord calls one of his sheep. It's a time of love. And he who has loved that sheep from before the foundation of the world says, live. And that person lives. I trust the Lord would bless these words to all of us here tonight. Number 485, revive us again. Number 485. Let's stand as we sing.